listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. Entrepreneurs are problem solvers by nature, but when you're solving complex business issues, the last thing you and your team need are technology hassles. That's why with the Galaxy Book lineup, Samsung set out to make a PC that helps you reclaim the workday, eliminating distractions and empowering you and your team to focus on the big picture. Invest in your workplace. Invest in your future. Upgrade to Galaxy Book, the PC that helps modern businesses go further. Explore the whole range at samsung.com slash book for work And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. How do you define success for yourself? The answer may determine how many setbacks and how much failure you are able to tolerate. Because the thing is, you are going to encounter that stuff no matter what goal you set. So the question is, do you have the perspective that can help you get through all that stuff to something that feels like and is, however you define it, success? And today, I want to introduce you to somebody who has a really powerful way of looking at this for her own work, and it helped her get through some really big setbacks on her way to a massive, massive success, one that if you happen to be a reader of the New York Times bestseller list, you would have recently seen. My name is Andrea Bartz. I'm the author of three thrillers, We Were Never Here, The Lost Night, and The Herd, and I'm a former magazine editor. So Andrea is a friend of mine, or Andy. She goes by Andy, so I'm just going to say Andy. Andy is a friend of mine, and she just rattled off three books there that she had written. And what she didn't say, but she will say later, you'll hear us dig into it, but I just want you to understand right now. So those first two books, first of all, she didn't know how to write thrillers. She didn't like come up in this industry. So it took her a while to get into it. And then once she did, I remember sitting around and talking to her about this. Those first two books came out and they were well-received and they were really good, but they didn't sell the way that she imagined them to. And that's a real disappointment. And every time you put something out into the world and it doesn't blow up, you wonder, am I good at this? Am I, I, is anybody going to care about me? Is it worth doing this more? And then number three, which is called We Were Never Here is an absolute hit. Like, been on the New York Times bestseller list for multiple weeks, was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. And I wanted to talk to Andrea, having followed her journey and knowing that she had so many setbacks and so many disappointments. What is it that kept her going? How did she get through all the disappointment and finally hit the success? And the answer, she says, is that she defined success in a very particular way. My guiding principle, the entirety of my career, like I have just been trying to write a book that will allow me to write the next book. Andy's marker of success is simply continuing. It isn't that she set out to sell a book that would become a New York Times bestseller. Of course, who doesn't dream of that? But if that is how she establishes what success looks like for her, well, then everything that isn't that is going to feel so crushing that how could you possibly continue? But her goal is different. Her goal is to just be able to continue writing. 
to put something out that enables her to put something else out. And it goes deeper than that. And the way that she has structured her time and the process of book writing is, I think, really instructive, certainly for anybody who is interested in writing books, but also for just anybody. Because this is someone who set out to do what feels pretty impossible and did it, but did it by not setting her sights on the ultimate goal. So now you see why I am really excited for you to hear more from Andy about how she works and how she sets goals and how she has worked through so many setbacks. On this episode of Problem Solvers, this is what we are doing. I am talking with Andy about her process of learning how to write these books and then how to keep going when, you know, they aren't always exactly as successful as you want them to be. Dot, dot, dot unless you define success in a way that helps you keep going. All of this coming up after the break. Startups can outgrow their cloud computing power in pretty much the same way that a person outgrows their cell phone. You know, you invest in something that seems great at first, but then time passes and it starts to get clunky, but you don't upgrade for a while because it's too expensive and complicated. And so you end up sticking with this thing that just doesn't work. And in the case of a startup and cloud computing, that means that their tech is struggling and it's difficult handling the company's bigger needs, and they are not even confident that they can take on enterprise size clients. But Oracle has a solution for this, and it is called Oracle for Startups. The idea is that startups can gain access to the cloud computing power, expertise, and connections of a big dog like Oracle. Plus, with multi-cloud support and no vendor lock-ins, a startup can build whatever it needs. Now, a startup has the power to scale. So don't stay stuck. To get free cloud credits and 70% off Oracle's cloud services, go to oracle.com slash go to slash problem solvers. Again, that is oracle.com slash go to slash problem solvers. All right, we are back. So we're talking with Andy Bartz or Andrea Bartz, as she is known on the cover of books, including the one that has spent some time on the New York bestseller list called We Were Never Here. And we're going to dig into her career, how she has navigated the ups and downs of these books. But let's start with how she got into it in the first place, because the answer is that writing thriller books as crazy and unsteady of a career as that sounds came as a solution to escaping an even more unsteady career. I was a former magazine editor. Actually, at the time, I was a magazine editor. And talk about industries where you're never quite certain what will, what will work out. Nearly every magazine that I worked at folded while I was there. I worked at Glamour. I worked at Self. I worked at Martha Stewart's Whole Living. I worked at Natural Health. None of those are in print anymore. And many of them sort of folded or became digital only while I was there. So I just kept getting laid off through no fault of my own, in my opinion. And I decided to work on a novel in my free time because I wanted something that no one else could take away from me. Something that I couldn't walk into work one day and have someone say like, this is not a thing anymore. And so I started writing it in earnest when I was at my last full-time job. Obviously, I didn't know at the time that it was my last full-time job. And when I got laid off, I sort of was like, okay, like now is the time I'm going to double down and finish this manuscript and try to get it published. Because with fiction, as you know, you need to write essentially the entire thing as a debut. And then you take this manuscript and that's what you query literary agents with. And then they're the ones who sort of broker a deal, get a publisher to sign on with a book contract. So I just had to think of it as 
I sort of falsely convinced myself, oh, you've already invested this much time in writing it. Like you have to keep going now. I participated in National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, back in uh, November 2014. And that's when a bunch of people sign up to commit to write 50,000 words in a month, which is about half of one of my novels. And I did it. And by the end, it was totally that sunk cost fallacy that helped me because I was like, well, I'm halfway there. I can't stop now. When in reality, I was on step two out of about 10 million. But yeah, so the first book was just every step. I kind of figured out the step in front of me. I talked to people who had already been published. I read, I did a lot of just online research of how to find agents who might be interested, how to you know take every step with this journey, how to decide on an agent and had an immediate setback where, not immediate, but a pretty quick setback. I had a few agents offer to represent me, which seemed really exciting. And it was sort of this like, it's all happening kind of moment. Right, right. And for that validation. And in yeah. this kind of work, that validation is almost one of the, is the very first step in trying to get this thing sold. Exactly. Like they're kind of these gatekeepers, right? Like you have to get over this hurdle if you want to be traditionally published, which I did. And then my agent went out, went wide and, and, you know, sent the manuscript to a bunch of editors that she thought would love it. And they all said no, (laughs) except for for two who said, I can't buy it as is, but I'll look at it again. If the author makes heavy changes on her own. Mm. It's called a revise and resubmit. And it's very, it's, it's really a leap of faith because you can work super hard, put in tons more time and they can still look at it again and go, "Mm, no. Right. And then you're down to these two people. And I assume at this point, everyone else who was going to see it has seen it. And so there's not a high percentage chance of success here. Yes. It really felt like this was sort of a Hail Mary. Like it felt like this was like a buzzer beating, you know, throw at the end uh, <laughs> to use a sports analogy, which I never do. Was that right? What, what, what sport is I'll, that? I'll, I'll give it to you. It's, it's, it's a basketball, it's a basketball metaphor and I'll give it to you. So you did it. You decided to do this. Was there a part of you that thought this is not worth the time that I'm putting into it? There was a big part of me that was just terrified that I would get to the end. I would turn it back in. It would be as good as I could make it. This manuscript would be the best I could do. And everyone would still say no. And that would be sort of rejection in a way I was not sure I was ready for. But I had to just kind of put that aside and have faith in my own work. And yeah, really dig down deep. And there was a lot of tears. And there was just several months of just working so hard on something, knowing it might not go anywhere. And then thank God, I turned it in. My agent read it and was like, this is ready. She resubmitted it. And one of those two agents made an offer within about a week. And that's one of those two editors. And that's, yeah, one of those two editors. And that's still the editor that I am working with. Wow. So I just want to recap. You decide to do this crazy thing because you've been laid off too many times. And you find someone who is willing to believe in you, represent you, the agent, and they send it out to all of these book editors. And only everyone says no, except for two who say, not interested, but maybe you can try again. And you decide to do it. And then one says yes. You were, you were really down to almost nothing here. That is correct. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. Did this give you... So look, I have thought to myself, I've come up with this phrase for times where I feel like I'm up against a lot of odds. And it is actually another sports metaphor, which is I just need to get led into the game. Just somebody needs to just let me into the game because I can't even 
prove that I can play the game unless one person lets me in. And that that's that's all you need ultimately. And and I I wonder if you thought about something similar here. Like you might think this is discouraging in that I've tried every possible avenue and I basically squeaked into one little side door. But another way of thinking about it is, well, who cares? Because the whole game is actually what comes next. I think that's been in so many words, my guiding principle, the entirety of my career. Like I have just been trying to write a book that will allow me to write the next book. I want to keep writing books and you can't pin your entire career on any one project on, on things that are outside of your hands. So like, I just keep writing books that hopefully are going to move me onto the next year to keep me in the game, move me onto the next, you know, game board game square to, to mix <laughs> metaphors. But I really just feel like I'm going to be coming up with stories left and right. If you put me in front of the keyboard, I'm going to write. So I just keep churning them out and hoping that, you know, every new book I write is another chance to break out and to sort of cement my career. And so I have this wonderful editor and she believes in me and lets me keep writing books. And as long as that is true, I will keep writing books. Right. So it's a good bar that you've set set for yourself, right? I feel like sometimes people don't know what success is supposed to look like and they get tripped up in setting the definition of success to an unreasonable standard or to something that they have seen other people achieve who are far later in their career, or maybe not, but who just whatever, it just hit in a way for them that it's almost never going to hit for anybody else. But your marker of success is simply continuing. Did that come from a, did you, do you remember the first time that popped into your head? Do you remember setting that definition of success for yourself or, or struggling against some other definition of success. I mean, you know, you, in books, as in any other industry, you can look around and find people who are absurdly frustratingly successful and you can start to measure yourself against them, which is not healthy. So how did you get to what you define success as? That's so true. And especially in the book publishing industry, there's this love of debuts, especially young debut writers. And they will get these million dollar advances and they will immediately hit the list. And they're just like these darlings in the media and they're getting so much attention. And like my first book didn't hit that way. I didn't expect it. You hope, but I didn't expect Mm -hmm. it to hit that way. I don't know that there was a moment that I decided on it, but my agent probably just being wily in terms of like, she wants me to make money so that she makes money. She's getting 15%. Sort of the day that like my final edits were turned in for The Lost Night. The Lost Night being your first book. Yes. So as soon as I had turned in final edits on my debut, The Lost Night, she said, okay, great. That'll come out next year. Eventually we're going to start talking about PR and promotion for it. But what do you got next? What else Mm -hmm. you got? What's going to be your second book? And she said to, for thriller writers, for commercial genre writers, especially, it's really great to have a book come out every single year. That's how you can build a career. That's how you can keep up excitement. Readers from the first book will follow you to the second and so on. And so she right away was challenging me to settle on an idea for book two. And it took a little kind of faffing about and some ideas that didn't pan out. But well before The Lost Night debuted, I was I was in contract for my second book, The Herd. Mm. And I was writing it. And it meant that when The Lost Night came out, it did did fine. It did pretty well. It sounds like according to my agent, the numbers were such that my publisher wasn't losing money. They wouldn't be super disappointed, but it didn't, you know, break out and it didn't really hit any major lists or or break out the way that we talk about some debuts breaking out. 
But I didn't feel like my whole life was over because I knew I had a second book with publication date and I was excited about it. And I thought that could be a big book. And that's kind of a philosophy I followed with every single book. I finished a draft of my fourth book before this current one, We Were Never Here, even came out. And always looking to the next one just keeps me in this groove of like, it is a marathon, not a race. I'm going to build this career book by book. And not everything is riding on any one single project. What must be wonderful about having already written the next book now that this current one just came out and is like a big hit is, and I wonder if you've thought about this, is that had you been in a different position, which is to say your current book is doing really, really well, and then you had to write the next one, you might have been really psyched out because now you're going to be thinking, what did I just do? Is there a way to top it? How do I try to take the DNA from that one? And and that's how people end up doing nothing. But you have already written the next one. You wrote it before you knew that this one was going to be what it is, which are you relieved about that? I'm so relieved. I mean, I was thinking about that. Now I'm in the editing stages and I'm still having all of those thoughts of like, oh my God, the things that people like in We Were Never Here, are they going to dislike this new book? Is it not going to, is it not going to live up to the hype? Is it going to attract a different audience and people are going to hate it? But it doesn't matter. I've already written it. My yeah. editor and agent signed on to the idea and like, I can really just focus on making it the best book that I possibly can. And I have to tell you, Jason, I had a book party just with, with friends outdoors the the day that We Were Never Here came out. And I have this group of friends that I haven't seen since before the pandemic who we all met in a Facebook group called Debut Authors 2019. We all had uh, traditionally published books. Our first books come out in 2019. And so we had this really fabulous year of like we would all go to each other's book events and support each other and read each other's books. So there was kind of a reunion at my book party And a lot of them were like, I can't believe this is your third book because so many of them had a debut come out and either it did really well and now they're sort of stuck. They're sort of paralyzed. I'm trying to write that next one. Or the first one came out and it didn't exceed their expectations. It didn't take off. And now they're just sort of dreading going through this process again. They, you know, often the the publisher has an option. So they have sort of like the rights of first refusal on the next idea. And they're not sure they want to work with them again. And so they're dragging their feet. And I totally understand all that. But I'm like, thank God, I just blasted past those situations. We have to take a short break. But when we come back, more with Andy Bartz. This is a message for lawyers, consultants, accountants, photographers, designers, and other professionals who sell their time, which I know is a lot of you. Square is here to make your work-life balance better. How are they going to do that? Because their suite of tools works together to easily keep you organized. You can send out custom estimates to bring in more clients, accept any type of payment that your customer wants to use wherever they want to pay, take payments in person, over the phone, through your computer, through email or text, via invoices or on your website. Get real-time reports that show you what's working best. And their built-in client management software even lets you have all your notes and client details in one place, including a card on file for repeat customers. Square's tools are built to work together so that you can spend less time on paperwork and more time on actual work. Learn more at square.com. All right, we are back and let's pick the conversation back up. Andy was talking about all the different things that she has seen psych out other writers that she is fortunate she escaped because of this mentality of just continuing to produce regardless of if things go well or not. As you mentioned, The Herd came out 
March 24th, 2020. Imagine what else was happening that week. There were actual nightmares of like, you know, bookstores shut down and canceled all pre-orders that very week. People didn't get their books for six weeks because the mail was so messed up. So they weren't reading it, reviewing it, sharing it. It was just a nightmare. And like, I could still be wallowing in that. I could still be like, man, I really had this publication week taken away from me and what mm-hmm. was me and that sucks. And I did absolutely grieve all the things that went wrong, but the only way to write more books is to write more books. There's an idea in publishing that you're only as good as your last book. And I think that's complete BS. I think you're only as good as your next project. You're only as good as your next idea. If your book did badly, and then you come up with this amazing idea and your agent loves it too, and your agent goes wide and starts a bidding war, like there you go. Your career has continued. As long as you Mm -hmm. keep coming up with fantastic ideas and working really hard, of course, there's privilege and luck and other things in play, but I think it's going to help you to continue building a career even after a setback, even after something that's out of your hands that sort of damages your your sales in my case or in your the, the sort of reception of your latest project. So that reminds me of this thing, just to add a third sports metaphor to a conversation that didn't really require any of them, but here we are, was a conversation that I had with this guy named Chris Bosch, who is a NBA all-star. He has since retired, but he was part of the super team, him, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade. And they had the expectations of winning the championship, the NBA championship. And I think 2012, I could have that wrong. It was the first year they were a super team and they played the Dallas Mavericks in the finals. Anyway, that's a lot of sports. But the reason I'm telling you this is because they lost. They lost against the Dallas Mavericks. Everybody was shocked. They were shocked. And I talked to Chris about this and I asked him what he learned from that moment. And he said, That what he learned was that for the Heat, for his team, the highs were too high and the lows were too low. When they won, they were ecstatic. When they lost, they were crushed. And when he looks at the Mavericks, the team that they were playing against, he realized that they had an emotional steadiness that he and his team did not. The highs didn't get them too excited. The lows didn't shake them too much. They were constantly just focused on what comes next. Play a game, move on to the next one. Play a game, move on to the next one. Doesn't exactly matter what the hell just happened because you've got another game to play. And that was not the way that the Heat were thinking. And they had to shift into that emotional steadiness in order to ultimately win the championship the next year. And so I hear a sort of similar thing coming from you because you've had highs and lows, right? You you are in a high right now and you are coming off of a low, but you are trying, and I'm sure it's not easy, but you are trying to think and keep yourself in roughly the same mindset regardless. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I don't think of myself as an athlete in doing this, but it is a marathon, like I said, and it is about kind of focusing on what you're producing next and how can I make that as extremely successful as possible. So for them, it's, you know, how am I going to play the next game? But for me, it's like, how am I going to, yes, do everything that they have, that, you know, my publisher has asked me to do to support this book and publicize it. And yes, do my very best to soak in what's happening and appreciate it and have some gratitude and kind of sense of awe that this thing that is the dream is happening. But just focusing on the next one beyond that and making it as making it the very best book I can possibly make. Because if I get too caught up in what's happening now, how am I going to continue this career? Like I don't plan to retire right now. I don't plan to go into hiding for 10 years and then come out with a new book with way too much pressure on it. It's yeah, it's kind of keeping it slow and steady and just focusing on the one thing I can control, which is how good are the books I write. 
And I think there's definitely, like I said, a luck element. I absolutely work my butt off. Like I absolutely think that this is a good book and, and I worked really hard to get here and poured in a lot of time, but I I won the lottery. I mean, Reese's book club picks, but one book a month and it is a perfect alignment with the kind of readers who are looking for a feminist thriller. Like I write, it's absolutely the dream, but I know it isn't going to happen again. The same thing will not be repeated. I will not have a breakout book in the same way again, but I have to just focus on the part I can control, which is writing the great book. I love that. And I love the way that you think about it. And I think that there's so much in that, not just for authors, but for really anybody in any kind of career, because everybody has to see what they are doing as the long game. Otherwise, you get caught up in these short-term decisions and ups and downs that are too up and too down. But all the same, as a way to conclude here, I'm curious, Andy, what did you do to celebrate this? Did you take a moment and step back and realize that you rang the bell? You set out to do this. It took three books. You rang the bell. Have you been able to appreciate that? It's a great question. And I feel so accidentally, inadvertently ungrateful a lot of the time. Because it is the most wonderful thing, but like so many goals that are, you know, feel unachievable and are such a, you know, top of a mountain when you actually get there, it's like, but I'm still me. And like, we're arguing over who's picking up the laundry and like things don't um, like automatically all become perfect. A few, a few fellow author friends have kind of joked like, so is your life perfect now? So to answer your question, I... Did not do any in-person events for this book, which I remember was a huge blow when Penguin Random House told me told me no, because we kind of thought COVID might be over by now. Turns out it's not. So it, I guess was the right call. But I did, as I mentioned, do kind of a personal get together the night that the book came out to just raise a glass with friends, with fully vaccinated friends in an outdoor environment. And it was the first time I'd been out celebrating any of my books in any way since The Lost Night came out in February 2019. So just sort of being with people and getting hugs and having people kind of really express their heartfelt congratulations, I think was a big, was difficult to let in, but I kind of let slivers of it in. And then I think since then, there's occasionally like a message from a reader or just something unexpected on social media where I'll get like that little glimpse, like that little five seconds of like, holy bananas, like just little kid shrieking sounds. So I'm trying to savor those and not tamp them down and let all of the emotions in and be fine. But there's also a part of me that's worried I don't deserve this. And there's also a part of me that is sort of grumpy about how this will never happen again. And and all those weird things that come up when you are in the middle of a really super successful moment that you know is fleeting. But I think I'm getting better at it, especially as sort of like my publication month winds down. We're getting to the end of August. If I'm mentioned I'm going on my first international trip at the end of the month since the before times and sort of like, okay, then we refocus and like onto the next one while still being very grateful for everything that has happened. Yeah. I think that's very healthy. Yeah. I remember getting the job as editor-in-chief of the magazine and people were like, how are you celebrating? You have to celebrate. And I was like, I don't even know what that means to celebrate. I mean, you know, like it's, I, I'm happy, but also I remember the line that I kept using was, but now the work begins, right? Like the work doesn't end. Like now the work, now there's a lot of work to do. And, but you know, if you have to go back to what you said at the very beginning, if you define success essentially as 
having the opportunity to continue to do the work that you love, then the celebration is a guarantee of at least some more of it. And Mm -hmm. I guess a few drinks along the way can't hurt. Yeah. A couple bottles of champagne here and there feel appropriate, but no, absolutely. Just as long as there's a keyboard in front of me, until they take my laptop away, I will be sitting here writing stories. So thank God that I continue to be paid for that. And that is a completely mind blowing thing. What I, whenever I step back and look at it. It's awesome. Well, Andy, Thank you so much for sharing all of this and for your great books and congratulations on everything. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. And don't forget to check out Andrea's new book. Again, it is called We Were Never Here. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Problem Solvers wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Monday morning and you don't want to miss it. And hey, be kind. Pass the show along to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost. And did you solve a problem that would be good for this show? Let me know about it. Visit my website, jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, where you can find my contact information and all sorts of other valuable info. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for all your entrepreneurship needs and even better subscribe to our magazine which is just full of the smartest entrepreneurs solving the toughest problems my name is jason pfeiffer the editor-in-chief of entrepreneur magazine thanks for listening and hey let's go solve some problems